going to ask you to take your copy of the scripture and open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, <clears throat> chapter 7. It could be that if the writer of the song that was just sung were looking for a place in the Bible, a place in the New Testament, to base the words in the heart of that song from, it could very well be this story out of Luke chapter 7 in the life of Jesus. I pray, I pray that the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. And that we'll hear some things maybe that we've never heard before. We'll hear some things that we really do need to hear today at this season in our lives. The shame breaker, the shame breaker. Shame is defined as a painful emotion caused by the consciousness of guilt, shortcomings, or impropriety. It's a condition of humiliating disgrace or disrepute. Jesus is the shame breaker. No matter what those circumstances in your life may have been, he has the ability and he has the heart to break the shackles of shame off of your life. Shame has a way, rejection has a way of holding us back from our destiny, from what the Lord intends for us, designed us to be. We don't step forward because we're ashamed. Or we keep going down a path of self-destruction because we are ashamed and because we think that we can't be trusted, count on ourselves, count on ourselves to go a different way, to make any improvement. Shame can talk to you. Rejection has lips. It can say things to you. But Jesus, the Christ, has the power to set the captives free. Amen. Follow along with me as I read this story from the life of Jesus to us today. Verse 36 Luke chapter 7. Now one of the Pharisees, Pharisees being a group that were known for their religion, known for their restrictive exercise of religion. They were Jewish, but they prided themselves in being strict adherents to the law. So much so that they felt like that they had the right because they were living so correctly to judge others who were not living up to their standards. So they were known as prideful. They were known as judgmental. They were known as knowing about God, but not really representing anything about God that the ordinary person would want to draw near to. But they held clout. They held power in their day. 
one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him. And he, Jesus, entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, in those days, it wasn't a fast food drive-through. It was, it was a several-hour, sometimes a several-hour event where a guest would come to an owner, the owner of a home, who wanted him or the group to come, and, and they would just spend the evening together. There would be conversation about whatever was on the table at that point in time. They would have a meal together, but it would, it would, it would be a progressive kind of a meal. It wasn't just sit down and eat and shake hands and leave. It, it was an event. It, it, was, it was an evening event. The Pharisee knew that when he invited Jesus, and Jesus knew what he would be getting into if he accepted and the tense seems to indicate that the Pharisee didn't just invite Jesus or request Jesus one time, but this man whose name was Simon, Simon the Pharisee, stayed after Jesus. He, he kept on requesting for Jesus to come to his house for a meal. So Jesus came. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. You are aware they didn't have chairs. They didn't put their feet under the table. They would lean over on the table and eat with the other arm, and their feet would go out the other way, go out the back. He reclined at the table. Look at verse 37. And behold, whenever that word behold is there, it means notice this. This is significant. Don't, don't miss this. And behold... There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, 500 days worth of wages, and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, Jesus continued, when they were unable to repay, he, the, gracious, the, 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 the money changer, graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, 
I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Because the roads in those days were not made out of asphalt or concrete. It was, it was a common plague of humanity in those days that your feet would get dirty. Very few were the closed-toed shoes, mostly sandals or barefoot. It was just a point of common courtesy basic hospitality, that if someone was being invited to your house, you would provide for them the ability to take their sandals off and put their feet in a basin of water, and there would be a towel that they could wipe the, the feet off when they finished washing their feet. Common courtesy, not a luxury, just basic hospitality. When I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, common courtesy, Middle Eastern common courtesy. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. Another point of, 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 of common courtesy it would be a fragrant oil that would be put on the head or on the face as the guests would come in from a, from a difficult day. Welcome them in with just a fragrant touch. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The shame breaker, the shame breaker, the shame breaker. It, it, it's, it's an important question. It's worth asking. Where, where, where did that kind of heart come from in this woman? Where, where, do you, where do you get that? That kind of, from your heart, 
expressions of love for Jesus. Jesus gave us a powerful key to understanding why some folks just seem to love him more than others. He or she who has been forgiven much loves much. A loyalty to Jesus, an affection for Jesus, a humble boldness toward Jesus, an extravagance for Jesus, all come from knowing that there is nothing about you that he does not know. Nothing hidden, no closet with a wall so thick that he can't see in it. No far, no, no distance back in your past, no, not so far back that he will forget every blooming thing about you and about me. He knows, he remembers. And still, he loves you. Now, for Simon, a religious man, a church-going man, a Bible-study man, knows all the songs, can teach all the classes, the only problem with living or trying to live a squeaky clean life is that sometimes we fallaciously come to the conclusion that I really don't need to be forgiven of all that much because I hadn't done that much wrong. I don't deserve that much mercy because I've really lived in a way that's sort of worthy of a relationship with God. And you want to know what? If that's where you stay, if that's where Christianity or so-called Christianity takes you, you know what you can turn into? A mean, narrow-minded, bigoted, Bible-quoting, hymn-singing, tithe-giving, church-goer. Don't tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. Some of the meanest, most judgmental people I know can quote more scripture than a lot of folks. There's something about really understanding what God got when he got you that can open our eyes up to the realization, I am. A sinner saved by grace. Therefore, my commonality with the human race is not my goodness, but it's the fact that I am a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The scripture says, 
But I just, you know, that, that needs to be. Why is it that some folks seem to love Jesus with greater fervor than others? Why is it that some folks just seem to have this explosive, uncontainable generosity when it comes to the things of the Lord? And other folks are just so, so hard to release anything, hard to give. That's why it talks about giving or tithing or, or helping ministries. And, so, and they're just, they're just something to just, just shrivel up. Just, just, they're going to try to get my money. They're trying to get money. On the other hand, someone who has been forgiven much. And understand, I don't even have any right to think that this Jesus would even know my name. But not only has he known my name, he loves me. And, and he knows everything there is about me. Therefore, as this woman gave expression, he, has every, he can have everything I have. It's very interesting. Historians looking back into this alabaster bottle and the perfume. There are two occasions in Scripture. One is right before the death of Jesus where where Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, anointed the feet of Jesus for his burial, Jesus would say. But this is a different encounter. This is, this is months, if not a year or so, prior to his going to the cross. What, what, was, what was that alabaster? What, what was that all about? Some historians suggest that it could have been a part of the dowry that her father gave her for her wedding, for her marriage. But because she had been with so many men, she had been so loose with her morals that that alabaster vial of her father's trust in her, her father's hope for her, her father's love for her, had to just stay on a shelf in a closet somewhere because she was not worthy. She, she had not, would, would not have the, the, the opportunity for that to be opened up and poured out as a wedding gift until she met Jesus. Folks, this is, this is awesome. The holiest man who ever lived was in the house of a man who was squeaky clean because of his morality. Nothing wrong with that. But if pride in our morality causes us to not think we don't have any real need of the grace of God, we're sort of on, a, on another level of, of uh, preference to him. And so we can look down our snouts at others who have struggled differently and more than we have because we've, we've kept ourselves clean. Well, the, the problem with that is it can cost you the understanding of an entire category of the heart of God. You get clear on justice. You get clear on what's supposedly righteous. You get clear on what that he knows and, and he, he, he orders things and arranges things. But understanding the felt heart of God for a human being the compassion, the kindness that is what sent Jesus from heaven to this earth can be missed, can be missed, can just be a theoretical point in an outline somewhere on the doctrine of God. But the understanding personally, 
what it is to have the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit is something that often the Lord allows us to go down through some difficult and lonely and hard places where sin seems to ravage us, where temptations seem to rule over us, even though we know what we ought to be doing. We know where we ought to be, where we ought not to be, but we do it anyway. The problem is not knowing more Bible. The problem is being able to obey and honor the Bible that we do know. Where does that come from? By the power of his spirit, by the work of his spirit inside us, where we cry out, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't do this. I'm making a mess of my life but I'm coming to you. I want you to notice that the woman came. She she didn't meet Jesus in the synagogue. She met Jesus in a home. She She met Jesus in the home of someone that all things being equal, she would never have darkened the door of that man's house. The only reason she goes through that threshold and into that man's living room or dining room is because Jesus was there. Jesus is liable to show up at some of the craziest places. About the time we think we'll never find him there, he would never go there. Lo and behold, there he is. And there's a sense of being drawn to him. I just want to say to you, 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 may be, you may be, as this woman was in this sense, a shame bearer, a shame bearer. Some things in your life that would, that would cause you to feel disqualified, embarrassed, humiliated. But, but here's, the, here's the, the point. Jesus, the most holy man who ever walked the face of the earth, somehow, some way, did not give off the kind of impression that sinners, like we all are, cannot approach him. That he's so holy, he's so right, and I'm so wrong, and I'm so mixed up, and I'm so confused, and I'm so weak in these areas that I can never approach him. She somehow, some way, was drawn to him. She was drawn to Jesus. Luke will say that the tax gatherers and sinners, the, remember that, that the, the lowest of the low, Marley in that day, the tax gatherers and the sinners of which this woman probably was a part of the group and how she may have first heard of Jesus, they, they would flock to this Jesus. They wanted to hear more about him. They wanted to hear him speak and be under his influence. It's because there was something of the kindness of God that came out of his life. Of Titus 3. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. It's the kindness of God. It's the kindness of God that wins people. It's the kindness of God given off by the person of Jesus that caused this woman to feel like she could come. She was drawn to him. The And as she was drawn to him, and she gave her expressions, made her expressions, evidently gave all that she had to give. The the, the alabaster, the perfume from something in her past, more than likely, 
the only setting in which she felt worthy enough to make that gift was in the presence of Jesus. Nobody had ever made her feel worthy again. Nobody had ever caused her to sense that she could be, she could have a future and a hope again until she met Jesus. I wonder, I wonder if she hadn't, if she wasn't around when Jesus would tell that story. And, it, and Luke would say that, that it was the, the it was the, the tax gatherers and the sinners, they're lumped together along with the Pharisees. When Jesus told those stories about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost boy, that boy that, that said, I want everything that's coming to me. And you remember the story? And he, and, and, he, and he left and went to a far country and squandered his estate in riotous living, Jesus' words. And then he came to his senses one day and said, I'll get up and go back. Who was Jesus talking to? Jesus was telling that story so that the tax gatherers and the sinners would be able to understand that the Father hasn't given up on you. The Father hadn't quit loving you. There's still room in the Father's heart for you to come home to. Wonder if this lady, this woman on this occasion heard that story or something like that. And when, like when the boy just said, I'm, I'm coming home, I'm going back to my daddy, I'm, I don't even, I'm not worthy to be called his son, but just let me work for him because he takes care of his people. But when he topped that, topped that hill or rounded that corner, and, his, and Jesus tells a story. His father saw him coming. The father had been waiting for him to come home. The father didn't, hadn't sent out the, 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 the paramilitary and the, the private detectives to go find him and drag him home. The father waited until the boy had had enough of the far country and said, it's better for me to be home than it is to live in this hell hole. And when he came, when the father saw him, Jesus tells the story. The father takes off running this older dad in the story, and runs and just fell on his son and he hugged him and he kissed him and the word is he just kept kissing him, kept kissing him because he was home. My son, who I thought was dead, is alive and will celebrate. Instead of, instead of there being a, 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 a trial or a tribunal and, and punishment coming, there was celebration that the, that the son had come home. What if this woman... What if this woman had heard that story or something like that about Jesus? And all she's doing is just saying, Lord, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. It's been hell out here. I've ruined my life. I've, I've touched people in ways that I would never want to do again. But Lord, if you'll have me, I'm coming home. Well, what were those tears? Those were tears of tenderness. Tears of knowing, I've been forgiven, but I don't deserve to be forgiven. I'm getting another chance, but I don't deserve another chance. That he would love me. And because he loves me, I can't help but love him back. So she's extravagant in her expression. She's bold. She, she, she just comes in unannounced into this Pharisee's house and takes over the whole dinner. You can imagine them trying to 
serve the meal and pick up the stuff and hand to them. And, and here this woman is squalling her eyes out, sobbing uncontrollably more than likely. Tears wetting the feet of Jesus. And she's down on her hands and knees wiping his feet with the hair of her head. Guess what? Jesus didn't shut her up. Jesus didn't stop her. He knew that more than likely the Pharisees' help and the family would be saying, well, we better be careful we invite this guy to the house ever again. Look who shows up when he comes. Squall and woman of the streets and what in the world? What's he, what's he letting her do? But not once was there a sense that Jesus was embarrassed by her. That Jesus was ashamed of her. That Jesus wanted to distance himself from her. Not one sign of it. He evidently let her finish what she came there to do. It was a, it was a boldness. And in what she was doing, there was a loyalty to Jesus. A loyalty to Jesus. It was a singular, focused expression of affection for Jesus. Now, folks, I, I don't want to offend anybody, but if your world is so small that you can't handle this and you need, to, you, need to, you need to blow up that narrow view of your world, Jesus is more important than the Baptist church. Gee, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm, 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 I can say Jesus is more important than the Catholic church. Jesus is more important than a Pentecostal charismatic church. Jesus is more important than any religious structure that comes along. God can use some. They rise and fall, but they are not the permanents. They are not the constants. The denominations, no matter what they are, are not the permanent entity. It is Jesus. It's the relationship with Jesus. It's the power of Jesus. It's the love of Jesus. It's the look of Jesus. It's the life of Jesus. It's all about Jesus, or it's not his body. It's some other entity, but it's not his body that's loyal to the head, who is Christ. I just, I just love it. Around here, you know, the story has been the average age of folks being baptized in Alamo City is somewhere from the upper 30s, which means a lot of the Alamo City family have spent a bunch of years of your life in other places, doing other things, in other settings. Some of you came to know the Lord in... In a, through a personal witness that somebody, somebody watched Billy Graham or watched an evangelist, heard, heard Jay Louder preach or Sammy preach, and, and, and there's been the response that way. The, the Lord can use all kinds of different means of bringing us to himself and encouraging our hearts. But when it is all said and done, our loyalty had better not be to a denomination or to a, a Republican or Democrat or libertarian or what? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So when Tuesday comes, if you hadn't already voted, I'm just, I'm just sort of slipping this in there, and you're getting ready to, to, to cast your ballot, it, it, it isn't about, well, what would the Republicans or what would the Democrats or what would the. You're a follower of Jesus. He washed you in his blood. He called you to his purposes. You belong to him. And he says, you are to be followers of me. So, Lord, as I look through this ballot, as I look through these issues being put before us, what vote from me pleases you? Bottom story, bottom of the line. That's it.
belong to him. And our affection is for him as it was for her. So let me just kind of wind this up with how did he break her shame? How did Jesus break her shame? The shame of her past. The shame of the cumulative effect of her past. Number one, he accepted her presence. She, she came to him and he didn't turn her away. He didn't say to Simon, I, did, I don't know who this woman is. No telling what she's about to do. <laughs> so, so you just need to have your help escort her out. He accepted her presence. I'm talking to somebody out there and you're wondering if you ever came home, if you ever came back to the Lord, would he accept you? Would he slap you down? Would he turn away as if you were an offense to him? This woman, Jesus said, though her sins are many, he let her be near him. He let her draw near. He let her do what she needed to do. Shame beginning to be broken because he accepted her just where she was. She hadn't given any money to his ministry. She hadn't chalked up any regular attendance at the synagogue. She was known as a woman of the streets. But she was drawn to Jesus because somehow she sensed that he loved her. And because she sensed that, this flow of love for him began to come back. You say, well, she's got a lot of stuff to repent for. So do you. If we think, Jesus, Jesus can't really handle stuff, handle people unless they're just they're already fixed up, then, then you and I would be toast. He came after us as we were, won our hearts, showed us, taught us of his love for us when he died on that cross for our sins. He didn't come to us because we had straightened everything up. He came to us in the middle of us not having fixed a thing in our lives. He accepted her presence and he received her expressions. She, she, didn't, she didn't say anything. She just cried. And she just took some kind of liquid something and poured it on his head. She just, all she did was just allow her heart to flow. Her heart to flow. Now, you, you look at, when, when Jesus has to pick, now listen to me. When Jesus has to pick between two kinds of folks that he's going to draw near to and unveil his own heart to, to be closest to, is he going to pick the one who knows all the verses who knows all the, the dots to be connected 
but it's just academic. It's just in the brain. It's just knowing something but feeling very little. He's got to choose between that one and a broken woman or a broken man whose heart is tender, whose heart is warm, whose heart is full of love for the Savior. Folks, listen. I'm telling you, you you can fill up buildings with people who know the Scripture backwards and forwards, but it's all academic, and you wonder why you don't sense the presence of the Lord in those settings. And then you go over to a storefront somewhere, or you go over to some some house with just some, some young believers, and it's a, you know, it's a group of ex-whatevers. Some of them still current, you know. But there's a sense of fascination with the person of Jesus, with a desperate reliance upon his power to change me and to rescue me and to keep me changed. I'm going to tell you which one Jesus would pick. It'd be the one where he's wanted, the one where he's loved. Not the one where he's supposedly, oh, he know, we know all about this and all about this and all about this kind of thing, importance of this kind of thing. But it's academic. It's cranial. You can walk in and out of those settings and there's no sense of the presence of the Lord anywhere. But then over here, over here, here she comes. Here he comes with a heart that is just overflowing with gratitude. Gratitude. I deserve hell because I've brought a lot of hell on people's lives. But he's forgiven me. He's loving me. He wants me. And I want him. There's a loyalty and an affection for the person of Jesus Christ. Preeminent. Of every other institution, every other denomination, every other organization, the preeminency of Jesus from the place of a heart that just can't stop loving him. Because he first loved me. You know, we kind of chuckle about it every now and then. That's why we'll say sometimes, if you knew who you're sitting next to. If you, if, you, if, you, if you knew who the person on your right or on your left, if you, unless you happen to be married to them or something like that, don't go back a long way, but where they were 15 years ago or 10 years ago or 30 years ago or five days ago, you'd marvel at the great diversity in the body of Christ. The massive reach of the grace of God. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done, trying to impress God, but on the basis of his mercy. Folks, listen. The realization of the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the kindness of the pardoning power and heart of God is what was rewriting this woman's life. It was his mercy. But she didn't have a lot of words to speak. 
She just had some things that she wanted to do. She wept. She toweled off his feet. She, she anointed his feet with, with that fragrance. And then look, look what Jesus says about her, and we'll finish with this, verse 47. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Now watch this. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus is equating the ability to be forgiven to the presence of love in this woman's heart. Not some cranial, factual, informational statement. Now we are to make the confession, Jesus Christ is Lord. We are to believe that it is true. Whoever is called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But folks, just going through a mechanical, a little formularized prayer that hadn't gotten any further than just the sheetrock around you, and there's no sense of evidential presence inside what you feel in your heart, we may have good reason to wonder whether or not that's legitimate or not. Love isn't something that you can fake. The love that was in her heart for Jesus was real. And Jesus equated that to faith. He will down in verse 50 say, your faith has saved you. Well, what did, what did she say? What was her statement of faith? She didn't say a thing. Find it. She didn't say a thing. What did she do? She wept. She toweled off his feet. She, she did something. She did something. The expression of love for the person of Jesus, focused on the person of Jesus, Jesus interpreted to be faith in him. Hallelujah. Faith. She believed in him, and Jesus knew she believed in him because there was love working in her heart for him. You love and you believe. 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 Simon was the system man. Simon was the religious system man. And here comes a woman who ends up getting more from the presence of God walking the earth. A woman with her background, with her past, as compared to what Simon left with it. She, she left with her sins forgiven. The story ends, and we don't know what ends up with Simon or where he ends up being. But what does it mean to be forgiven? Huh? What does it mean to be forgiven? The word means released. Released. The effect of the sins, the presence of the sins to, to in a future way, impede your relationship with God. Canceled. Canceled. Instead of the heavens being closed, the heavens are opened. Instead of me not knowing whether or not God will hear me when I cry, when I pour my heart out to him, I have an understanding that since I've been forgiven through what Jesus has done for me, I can talk to my Abba Father. I can cry out to him when I'm in need or when I'm ready to celebrate or when I have a question or when there's a need to be supplied. 
The heavens are open because I've been forgiven. Folks, when that drops 18 inches that you are forgiven, shame has a way of evaporating from your life. Because the only one that it really matters how that one feels toward us, our relationship long term, is our Heavenly Father. Everybody else, would you look, look, look around right now? Everybody else is temporary. There's not a body, there's not a soul in this room that you owe your life to. You don't answer to them, but we do answer this way. But when we understand that though we have violated his heart, not done what was in his heart for us to do, we, we have lived our lives separate for him, from him, but then in the midst of all of that, there was the sense that through Jesus Christ there is forgiveness. I can be released from the consequences, from the guilt of what I've done. Then something just begins to happen to raise you up higher. The lower powers that were shackling you to defeat and repetitive, destructive behavior lose their grip on you. When you begin to understand that the God of all creation knows me better than I know myself, he has made provision of my, for my sins, and I've embraced his forgiveness because I've received Christ as my Savior and Lord. And when that quits just being phrases in my brain, but it actually drops 18 inches and I feel it in my heart, that I'm free. I'm free. I'm forgiven. Shame. No matter who's trying to put it on you, no matter what their names are, no matter what position they held in the past, the shame loses its grip when you understand who, more importantly, approves of you. Some reject, but he accepts and he approves. See, so our life in sin, our life doing things that don't please him, have a way of working hand in glove with God's grace in amazing way. Because what the enemy would like to cause us to believe should keep us away from the Lord because of the way we've lived and the choices we've made. The grace of God beckons us into relationship with the Lord on the basis of those things. Because I now understand what he had to forgive me of and he is forgiving me of through what Christ did for me and the one who has been forgiven much loves much. One who has been forgiven much loves much. The one who has been forgiven much loves much. Would you say that with me? The one who has been forgiven much loves much. Let that in. Let that in. Let that in. Lord, will you please take these words from your word exactly to the places they need to be in our hearts. 
Father, forgive us for where we have been shame preachers and not being able to convey the grace and the mercy of God to ones who are struggling and longing for the power of Jesus to set them free. But we, as Simon's attitude would have been, what is she doing in my house? What is she doing here? Lord, will you just show us the blindness of that arrogance, even as a Christian, that we've forgotten what it is that you had to do to rescue us. And then, Lord, I pray for those that would be struggling even this day with shame, the shackles of shame. Lord, would you speak your love to their hearts? Oh, God, would you speak your love to their hearts? Would you draw them unto yourself and that the wonderful presence of yourself meeting them will be the the catalyst to change hearts from the inside out. Holy Spirit, help us now. Help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.